Hi, I'm Danny Elfman. This is Shirley Manson. This is Debbie Harry. This is Chris Steiner Blondie. This is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears. This is Billy Idol. This is Alex Ebert, a.k.a. Edward Sharp, giving the story behind the song. Hi, this is Peter Chotty, host of the story behind the song. Each month I speak to some of music's biggest artists to get the inside stories behind their most lasting and iconic songs. Join me for new episodes on the third Monday of every month on the story behind the song from the Consequence Podcast Network, available wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 2020, while most of us were stuck inside our homes, a brand new ska band from New Orleans started uploading really cool black and white music videos. The band looked cool, and the music ruled. Two-tone style ska, but with a grit to it, and hooks emanating pure joy. That operation may have been new. They hadn't even played a show yet. But the members had been in the ska scene since the 2000s in groups like Fatter Than Albert, Samurai Deli, and Angry Banana. Today we speak with two members of Bad Operation, Greg Rodrigue and Daniel Ray, a.k.a. D-Ray. They also run Community Records and the annual New Orleans Festival Block Party, which celebrates its 15th year on June 24th at Tipitina's. Fatter Than Albert will be playing a reunion set this year. Also, make sure you check out the new Wavebreaker release on Bad Time Records. You'll hear three brand new Bad Operation songs, along with three songs by Mighty Mighty Boss Tones bassist Joe Gittleman. Bad Operation are definitely one of our favorite ska bands. They come up in pretty much every one of these podcasts we do. Yeah, I mean, anybody that says that they're not familiar with new ska, or they don't know if there's any new ska bands, that's definitely one of the bands that I bring up. So you got to check out Bad Operation. And anybody that tries to say that ska is goofy music, this is one of the bands that I point out and say, this is cool. If you don't like this, you don't know what cool is. They are the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> you can ask the questions. I was asking how, how y'all feel about the podcast. Um, I mean, I, I still enjoy it. I guess if that's what you're asking, do we still enjoy doing it or do we feel like it's still... Yeah, that's an answer. Yeah, just like yes. y'all yes, feeling yes, good yes. about it. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we were about 20 or 25 episodes in when I realized how long we could continue doing this. Because <laughs> it didn't just have to be people within our segment of the ska scene. Mm -hmm. It can literally be anybody. Yeah. 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 And we're talking about you out there listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It could be. You, you might be a guest. Maybe you're listening to this and you're going to be our next guest. As a, as a, as a listener of the podcast, I think that, those episodes are arguably sometimes more interesting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, like getting, getting kind of the uh, corners of whatever the sky, uh, like a, like a vision of what the sky scene is from someone who's in orbit of the sky scene as opposed to somebody who's heavily involved in it. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I find that so fascinating to hear what people on the outskirts, if you will, like what their thoughts are. Yeah. I mean, we, we know that some people just like shit on it, but not everybody has that perspective. They have just have like their own unique perspective of this thing happening. Yep. And that's like so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Even people within Ska have that, <laughs> which is interesting to me. That's a little, little taste for everybody. Just us hanging out. Just us hanging out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just sh- shooting, shooting the stuff. Yeah. I have a Greg specific question I want to start with. Mm. I heard a rumor. I have to verify if this is true. I heard a rumor that at uh, Punk Rock Bowling in uh, Vegas uh-huh. that you uh, you were watching the Skins play, uh-huh. um, and they played their Cap Down cover of Cousin Cletus, <laughs> uh-huh. and you you rushed the stage, and the, you were kicked off the stage. Kicked off is a strong way to put it, but I was <laughs> uh, the stage manager decided that that was not going to be allowed, which I was pretty, (laughs) I was pretty surprised because I was like, this is fucking punk rock bowling. This is, I don't know. It didn't seem very punk rock to me to kick me off the stage, but whatever. What what were you, uh, were you just going to dance? Yeah, I was just dancing. Oh, okay. I mean, I wasn't going to, I was going to be mindful of the pedals on the stage. Didn't want to step on anybody's pedals or like really get in the way, but I was going to, yeah, you're a pro, you know what you're doing up there. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna dance. I was gonna dance, enjoy myself. They were playing the, you know, I was getting hype for the Scott Punk song. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Are you a Cap Down fan? Yeah. Yeah. We saw the Skints play in Sacramento um, a few days after Punk Rock Bowling. They 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 opened for the Interrupters and and Bedouin Soundclash. Mm-hmm. And Adam, before the show goes, he says to me, he goes, "If they play their Cap Down cover, I'm gonna go off." <laughs> People are going to hate me. <laughs> and they did. They did play it. And then he just kind of ran, politely ran into the crowd till he was kind of close to the stage. And he just kind of danced to himself. There was a, I saw a video of that show that you're talking about. There were so many people there. Oh, yeah. It was so many it was people. Packed. Yeah. So I had to like, like just weave my way between people, like whatever the path of least resistance was. Uh-huh. To get up towards the front, so I could like shout along and dance, and I felt I felt my elbow connect with somebody's beer, and I, I felt the moisture from that, and oh, yeah. kind of the the disgust from people as I went by, and I was like, whatever. Look, you were living <laughs> your best life. You did what you came to there to do. Here's the thing: is is uh, people were just kind of bopping along, like the whole the whole show, like even during the interrupters, and it was jammed in there, so I don't really blame people. And it's an older audience. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had brought their kids. It was their kids' first show. And uh, I wasn't trying to ruin anybody's night, but also I had to represent for Capdown. Yeah, I got to have a good time. Yeah. The skins came so far. Like, man. Sure. Like, you're, you might, who knows how long it'll be before you see that band again. And when they're coming back here, like, yeah. Exactly. You guys were on the same bill, right? At Punk Rock Bowling? Correct. Yeah. The, uh, it was, it was uh, Agrolites and, uh, yeah. Roy, Roy Ellis with the Agrolites. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Bedouin Sound Clash, um, the Skints, um, Robert Stokes Band. And I'm going to probably pronounce the band's name wrong, but I'm amalgamated. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Good job. So I think, I think that that was the whole bill. What a lineup. I mean, I was actually tempted to come down just because I, I punk rock bowling is kind of off my radar of something that's really 
I don't know. I don't, I've never been to punk rock bowling. Never really felt tempted to go, but I saw that lineup. I was like, God. Yeah. They, whoever curated that particular show did a good job for my personal taste. <laughs> <laughs> now bad operation is uh, touring a little bit and playing shows. I guess even playing shows is sort of still relatively new. Yeah. What's this been like to, to become a live outfit <laughs> for the first time for the first time? I mean, it's been great. Like it's, it's been definitely some growing pains trying to figure out what that, where that fits in, you know, mm-hmm. and with all of our lives and what we want to do, what we can do. But at the base of it, it's been joyful. It's been so much fun to play the shows that we've played. And honestly, the um, energy from the people at the shows is like just so uplifting. And uh, yeah, it's been a trip. Honestly, it's been really fun. I wish I'm happy that we're getting to do so much and I can't wait to do more. Because the band has such an unusual story in that you released your record during the pandemic. You, you know, your first show happened in March 2020, so it didn't happen. You developed a, an audience. You developed a following during the pandemic. Your record sold well. Uh, your 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 social media, you get good engagements. You don't really know if people are going to show up to the shows. You don't know if people are going to be excited. You know, you, you you think they probably will just because people are digging the record, but you don't really know for sure. It's it's a it's an odd experience to have to, to go through. It is so incredible that we never when we started the band, like it we've said this before, we were gonna play one show and see what happened. And now this band is kind of like living a dream that I we have had for our whole lives. <laughs> Mm-hmm. yeah like straight up you know uh and it's kind of a it's a trip every every moment every show every every uh yeah everything who would have thought after years of doing it like the the other way like mm-hmm. practicing and playing the shows <laughs> that recording the album and putting that out and then playing the shows dude is the way to go <laughs> yeah it would have been hard to uh like make that plan sure only be able to do that because you played music for so long right and that's the other thing is that we kind of it's like we didn't do that with this band but we did do that with a lot of bands so in my mind it's like yeah a new chapter of the same story exactly yeah yeah now your first show um was in like was it like late 2021 i think that's correct yeah i talked to you guys right before and right after you played and uh, it sounded like you guys were just, um, you guys were super nervous before. And then after you guys were in this sort of um, days, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I think, I think you were surprised at how well that first show went. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously right before you went on, you saw that there was a full crowd. So that part of the worry was over, but just that it, it, the execution of it went so well. Yeah, it was, it was interesting to, have to learn how to play our own songs as a band because mm-hmm. for the first chapter of the band's existence we didn't um we weren't able to get in a room and practice the songs and um you know the record came out of us trying to play a show and 
execute those songs. But then there was a whole year and a half lapse of time before we had the opportunity to actually perform live. So a lot of anticipation, uh, you know, maybe not just from us, but in theory from the crowd. And we didn't want to disappoint ourselves or the crowd. <laughs> and uh, it was great. I mean, that uh, that first show was with Joystick and Stuck Lucky, who are uh, both great friends of ours. And we played at Bank Street Bar, which is um, a venue that was a home for us in a way. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. And ever since then, we've just been, every time we play a show, as D-Ray had kind of said earlier, it's this sort of blissful dreamlike experience <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't really know how to describe it and so one one also interesting thing about your first show was that dominic your singer you know he he's an experienced musician and performer but i don't think to correct me if i'm wrong this was his first time performing as a lead singer that wasn't also playing an instrument pretty sure pretty sure in that capacity like soul role i believe so especially in a ska band mm -hmm. and yeah and he he killed it right oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was it's yeah. that dominic's like charisma and swagger and confidence and aura is just uh uh something else otherworldly to me it's great to watch one detail I remember uh, you telling me about that first show was that um, there was a drunk guy who <laughs> tried to play a harmonica solo <laughs> during one of your songs. He didn't. He didn't try. Oh, he did. It, he was, oh, he did. <laughs> he did. Uh huh. There was no attempting. <laughs> I think. I think at some point the sound guy just turned the mic down <laughs> while, he, while he was playing the harmonica. Nice. Was Was he at least in the right key? No, no, that's <laughs> not. He didn't show up with his bandolier full of harmonicas. Like, yeah, he opened his jacket and he had like every key of harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. He, he probably thought he was uh, uh, doing you guys a favor. Yeah, kind of. It seemed like that. This will really set the show off. <laughs> uh huh. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, it was uh, we're still talking about it. It was real fun. And uh, sure. no, yeah. <laughs> I remember like Dominic, like giving him a hug and like he walked off stage and then a couple songs later he tried to like <laughs> come back. I think it's like, nah, man, we're good. Thank you. It's okay. Well, <laughs> another, another for context that, uh, bank street bar show was free to get into. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, it was just, he was at the show and that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's only at, fr at free shows like that that you really end up with the real wild situations where some random person just wanders in. Certainly 10% of the crowd was not expecting to be at said bad operation <laughs> joystick duck lucky show that night. Amazing. <laughs> they were at a historic moment. They didn't even know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're still talking about Harmonica Guy. Mm -hmm. Harmonica Guy. If you're out there. If you're out there, yeah. Maybe he's like just stumbled upon this podcast episode too. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's free yeah. also. <laughs> In defense of Harmonica Guy. <laughs>
So I, w- I want to ask a little bit about the wave breaker that you did with Joe Gittleman. By the time this episode releases, it'll be releasing a few days after. So, so how did this come together? Was it just Mike Szynski called you and asked if you want to be on a wave breaker with Joe Gittleman or was there something more behind it? No, that, that's how it happened. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's it. That's pretty much the story. Uh, it, it has been in the works for a good while. I think, I think Mike Sosinski texted me about this idea probably June of 2022, <laughs> if I had to guess. Yeah, I think it was probably a whole year ago at least. Uh, mm. And, you know, I think the, at least in the immediate answer was yes. Yeah, let's figure <laughs> that sure. out. Yeah, let's figure that out. And here we are. The three songs that you guys have uh, have put on there for your your side of it was um, are all like really really good songs. I have to say, sick. Thank you. Thanks. Can you tell me a little bit about did these songs come together like at at one specific time, or are they from a batch of songs that you're working on? So actually, like Greg, we worked on all three of these way back in that December of. 2021 right no 2020 2020 i cannot believe that uh really so when you were releasing your first album you were working on these yes yeah we we've been demoing stuff since before the first record's been out so we have a lot i mean yeah i mean there's just we're very slow at finishing things now but we've got got (laughs) quite a lot of ideas and these are three of them that have been in the oven for a, a while yeah, so these were kind of like more of like the first ones that we kind of hashed out and just kind of the first ones that kind of bubbled to the surface that we kept working on. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think we played What Keeps Us Moving at Fest 2021. I think you're right. And then uh, Grandma's Car and Stay Inside, we only started playing live in the last four or five months saturn bar right at that december show maybe. okay so Dece- december yeah december 2022 mm-hmm. was the first time we played the other two songs live yeah so it seems i feel like it seems like this record happened so quickly and out of nowhere but as far as on my end like it rolling out but we've been marinating on these songs and newer songs for a minute which is yeah. great i i like i again we're talking about the the plan like kind of i'm eager to write new music and we are but it's nice to be able to take our time and marinate on them and let things happen the way that they're going to happen um Mm -hmm. and steady you know still have other new demos that we're working on and putting in the bank so that we can come to those later and a a little bit of it too was i think when mike first hit us up about a wave breaker thing at that time. I don't know what other wave breakers were out, but the initial idea was just like, Oh, just each one song. And, uh, I don't think it was too long after that. I was like, well, can we do, can we do two or three? Uh, cause I think when they did the Mike park cat bite split, I was like, Oh, that, that LP, that LP thing, you know, like let's do, yeah. let's do a few more songs. And, Mike immediately was like, yeah, like, let's do more than just a song. And so that that did motivate us to try to finish three as opposed to just doing one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely like the way it feels more when the Wavebreaker feels like uh, 
like almost like a split EP instead of a split single. Totally. Same. Yeah. I like the length of uh, LP 12 inch versus a seven inch. Like it just feels more complete. Yeah, definitely. There's a quote from Dominic from, uh, I think it's your first Brooklyn vegan interview back in 2020 where he says that Scott's joy, joyous retaliation. And I was thinking about that quote because I feel like the vibe of these three songs really is in that, in that, in that quote, that sort of like these songs are so joyful, but they have like reference. I feel like they're referencing the darkness, the choice to seek joy. Mm -hmm. I'm curious your perspective on that. Yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot. You know, um, this, all of the traumatic shit that is <laughs> we uh, traverse in this world to be able to specifically talking about music and going to shows to be able to go to those places and experience music and dance and sing and shake this energy that we hold in our bodies from all of the things that this world tosses at us. Um, this joyous retaliation, this choosing to, I'm going to have fun regardless, and I'm going to uh, joy despite, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's not always possible, but I think it has definitely helped me stay mentally healthy to allow yourself to just enjoy being alive and not let... I guess the bastards get you down as they say. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, to kind of riff on what D Ray and um, Dominic had said for, for me personally, the band is supposed to be fun. I mean, we spent D Ray and I, all of us, Dominic, Brian, Rob, <laughs> we all spent a lot of years kind of grinding it out and trying to make something with music and trying to have it become have it go somewhere like a means to an end and this for us this band uh and the music that we make it's meant to be experienced for ourselves and for others in the present moment and um you know it's can feel and sound like party music but it's not party music without um, a mindfulness and, and, and an awareness and I'm not saying we're always going to get that a hundred percent. Right. Um, but it's the, the band for me feels like an active choice to succumb to joy and to, to allow the music to be simple and to allow it to be, um, without a ton of, orchestration honestly i mean these bagel rooks like anyone can play bagel rooks <laughs> like, like i mean i don't know it may maybe i'm being a bit facetious or something but the the songs have an intentional sim simplicity to them and that that is supposed to speak to hopefully uh the joy that it can create not just for us but for others right yeah, Bagel Rooks, like that, that, and Perilous, I think those are good examples of songs from the record that really have that feeling. But I, I definitely felt like what keeps us moving has that, like, has that tremendously. Like that song just starts up and it just, it just fills you with joy. Well, and I, and I, and I can't speak, 
you know, I feel like my interpretation of what Dominic's lyrics are on that song is, is what we're talking about. Yeah. Is that joy, you know, there's a, there, there's an interesting, um, sample at the end of that song. I just can't, I can't <laughs> quite place it. Do you, what, what is the sample at the end of that song? <laughs> I don't know. I figured you would know. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure it's from a, uh, podcast in defense of harmonica guy (laughs) (laughs) for um so the 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 sample is from the office hours live which is uh tim heidecker's podcast and the guest on that episode was uh was you author of in defense of ska (laughs) (laughs) it's me asking me asking him if he well actually him and his panel of uh hosts what they think of ska and Tim Heidecker says, I don't care for no, it. I don't care for it. And we all laughed. And I mean, there's a certain sincerity to the way that he said, I don't care for it. That, it, yeah. that I, <laughs> So good. Honestly, I love it. Yeah. When I, <laughs> when I watched that interview the first time, I was like, that's gold. It's sound clip for like the, the person who mines a lot of the sound clips. Sometimes there's a thing that I'm watching that just like, that's it. It grabs me. It's like a tiny little few seconds, but I can tell. I'm like, that is hilarious. That can stand on its own and be. <laughs> <laughs> also, during that interview, I um, I suggested to him that he check out Bad Operation. I heard that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if he has. I almost took that sound clip because he's like, wait, what are, the, <laughs> what are they called? What are they called? Yeah. That would have been a good sound clip too, yeah. I know, right? For the next record. Yeah. yeah. I have... <laughs> I have a ridiculously long couple of ridiculously long notes on my phone of just random TV shows at timestamps and speeches. And it's just uh, a growing list that maybe they'll all get used one day. You guys pick good samples. I have to say like many a band chooses to put samples on their record and not many of them are very good. Yeah. The ones on the bad op record are great. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> Let's just break them down really quick. The first one <laughs> is the Impossibles thing, but uh, before we dive into all of them, which I really, which I really want to do, I will say, with the Impossibles and the Blue Meanies, mm-hmm. both of those have come up on your podcast, which just blew blew my mind. So crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's because it's fun to ask. Like, did you have you guys heard of Bad Operation? Yeah. Did you guys know about this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Adam, start start the breakdown of the samples. Okay. So we've got we've got the bad operation. With the, excuse me, we've got the high work bad operation, Impossible. the Impossibles one. Mm-hmm. Which Rory came to our show kind of because of that. Amazing. Their first, their son's first show. Oh wow, that's really fun. So wait, how how did you, so you use the beginning of it right, the little squeal, right? Mm-hmm. But then who's who's actually. It's just it's just Dominic kind of almost screaming, "Hi, we're about Operation from New Orleans." Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's so dead on. It sounds exactly. Like the <laughs> yeah, it's also funny because it's just that squeal, and if you know the record, you know it. But otherwise, like, I mean, it's just just such a like specific pitch. Yes. Well, it's also the first song on the on on the anthology, so yes. I was like, okay, well that that has to open the record. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Such a great callback, like way to open a record. Yeah. Then there's the Ghost Town sample. Hmm. Um. This is like with with it pitching down, like it's like it's a record slowing down. Did you guys just do that in a computer or? 
Yeah, that was that was digital. Yeah. Okay, then there's the Billy Spunk. Great. Yeah, that off the the mail order is fun uh sample. So now a little side thing about this sample is that I think that this this clip, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, sparked curiosity from you about back in the day about Billy Spunk's relationship with New Orleans mm-hmm. and whether or not he lived in New Orleans at some point. Well, I knew, well, I didn't know. Uh, I had heard that at least some of Full Throttle was written in New Orleans and he's got The Devil Came to the Ninth Ward. Uh, that track on Full Throttle. Um, so all of that was really kind of mysterious to me and interesting and Blue Meanies were um, the main influence for Fatter Than Albert as far as our stylistic approach to ska. And so that's just the same sample that's on the mail order comp. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It's funny because the first time I heard it, his voice sounds like Mike's voice. Huh. Like it sounds like Mike Park calling himself. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he sa- he kind of says it kind of slow, like Mike Park, like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a- yeah. And I haven't heard Billy's voice outside of uh, you know, the In Defense of Scott podcast and yeah. his performance on records all that mm-hmm. much. So I w- I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah, I've always thought of Billy's voice as being a little bit higher, Mike's okay. voice being a little bit lower. But uh huh, that's just me. I could see that. Are there other samples that I'm forgetting? There's the Sublime sample. What did you sample from Sublime? Uh, the Smoke Two Joints, Reefers. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, that's in Brain. Sample of a sample. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's Jackie Me Too before. Oh, yeah. Uh, kind of Together. Which the, the name of that song is a homage to Totally Together, a Jackie Me Too song. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually had that Jackie Me Too co- song come on on shuffle one day <laughs> and, and was like, Whoa, this like thought, op- thought bad operation was coming on. It throws me for a loop. Yeah. And then I was like, Oh shit. Nope. Mm-hmm. So that was a cool one. Is that all? Is that all of them? I think, I think that might be all of them from the first record. I think so. I think so. Yeah. That's a tasteful amount of samples. None from eighties movies. So, <laughs> well, I mean, certainly for the first record, so much of, it, they're all ska references, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the motivation of starting Bad Operation as a band was kind of a rekindling or just a, a recognition within ourselves of our love for said ska music and making that record. It made sense to put all these kind of, you know, I could imagine myself putting the CD, the CDs like in my car. <laughs> hearing those samples and having that excitement translate all the way back into, okay, we're writing this music. We're, we're making this really fun ska music. Like what is that about for us or for me, or maybe for other people who might enjoy it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's, Oh wait, there's, so there's also the sample of the voicemail message from Greg, right? Oh, in the middle of brain. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that, that was just a recorded, thing we did over the uh over the song yeah oh so was that not an actual voicemail message no no No. Mm. i didn't even know it sounded like a voicemail until you said that (laughs) oh yeah i totally just thought it was like somebody (laughs) like greg had called somebody else in the band 
and like left a message and been like, oh, this would be a good sample. That's funny. Yeah. No, I think, I think Brian just put some sort of like grain Mm -hmm. on, on my voice. Yeah. When I did that. So it, now that you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, it does sound like a voicemail, but I never, never thought about it that way. What are the other samples on the Wavebreaker? Uh, the other one is Worf, the Star Trek character from season one of Star Trek Mm. next generation. Uh, Thinking about what you can't control only wastes energy and creates its own enemy. And then there's a sample on Stay Inside that we tried due diligence to figure out who actually said the quote, but I was driving from my house to work listening to Democracy Now! And it was just uh, someone that was on the station that day talking about the inequity between (laughs) the massive amount of wealth that one percent of or less than one percent of humanity has in comparison to the rest of humanity but should know who said it don't know who said it but it's from democracy now greg and i searched a lot a couple times trying to figure out looked at the date the time no idea who this person is yeah i was driving listening to it and i just took my phone i was like this is gold and i just i was enjoying listening to it so much that i just put my phone up next to the speaker of my car door and recorded it with my phone. And that's, that's what the sample is. Nice. The song, uh, the chorus, I just want to dance. That's, that sounds unlike anything else in any of your songs. Melodically. Yeah. I'm just curious about it. It struck me. I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong, but melodically, tonally, all of it sounds different. I, I'm just wondering if that that had a, a unique influence or anything, any thought behind that specific chorus? I have to ask Dominic as far as uh, the approach, but D-Ray can maybe elaborate because he does the backing. Yeah, I mean, the, as far as like the vocal layering with the low vocals and the high falsetto definitely strikes me very uh, a throwback to Outkast mm. and like psychedelic funk sort of thing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of a Portugal the Man as well because they do that. That's cool. I've never really listened to them. That's what's up. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Also reminds me of like the weird shit that happens in Ghost Town. Sure, yeah. But I think it kind of, you know, definitely wasn't a target we were trying to hit. It just kind of happened naturally. Also, fun fun fact about that song is that it's just another song but minor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, what do you mean it's just another song should i let this secret out greg i don't know i feel like there needs to be some mystery to let's leave the mystery and we can talk about it behind the curtain yeah that 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 could be a behind the curtain thing you listening want to hear this huge huge ska secret sign up for our patreon <laughs> there, there are uh two one very obvious and then another not so obvious Easter egg in Stay Inside from Fatter Than Albert because there's the Fatter Than You, Fatter Than You reference. That was a Fatter Than Albert song. Mm-hmm. And then this and then once we drop to the kind of dubbier part at the end of Stay Inside, that was a baseline that I had written for Fatter Than Albert right as the band was kind of in our last chapter. And then the horn line was, I guess Charlie wrote that horn line, right? D-Ray? Uh, I, I, it was, did you write it? I think I it, know. I mean, at that point we were writing horn lines together. So okay. 
I don't remember. The real secret is going to be behind the curtain. That's okay. right. Yeah. The big secret. The big secret. <laughs> but I mean, I've I've done the same thing where I, I like self-referencing in a new song, like something old. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, we even went as far as on the last Omnigon record to like just record a Link 80 song that never got recorded. That's awesome. So yeah, I think that being able to mine that old, those old reference points is really powerful. The way I think about songwriting too is sometimes like for what keeps us moving on, a lot of those, those chord progressions kind of just like came to my fingers as they were moving on the keyboard. Yeah. And that's one that like, I was like, I can hear like that as a song that wasn't emulated off of something. But then there's other songs where I'm like, God, I love this song. Yeah. How can I get the same feeling out of something that we do? and kind of start working around with it and stay inside was definitely more that yeah like throwing in the um the fatter than albert parts when we were demoing that with dominic it was like oh this is in the same key as fatter than you yeah and then we got and then we got to the end of what that song was and we're like what should we do now and i was like well i got this bass line that's like also in the same key that's also from a fatter than albert song that (laughs) could work here and then it that's so even us putting those things in there uh wasn't overly meditated it just kind of felt like oh let's felt right let's do this here you know as i'm as i'm sure it was you know rekindling the link 80 song it wasn't like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do this because i have to or I, i should do that it was probably like oh yeah that song rips like let's give it some life or you know yeah, it was just one of those things where it had been sitting around for forever and we'd always, you know, joked back and forth about, oh, we should, you know, do something with that song. And then eventually one time Barry was just like, yeah, I wrote a new song and he just sent me a demo that was just that song. <laughs> <laughs> brand new song, Adam. Yeah, brand new song. You've never heard this before. In addition to the Wavebreaker coming out, uh, you you have the 15th anniversary of Block Party. Yeah. And additionally... It is a reunion show for Fatter Than Albert. Yeah. Full circle. Full circle. So let's let's dig into some of this stuff. Get your shovel. <laughs> <laughs> well, specifically, I'm, in, I'm interested in uh, community records, fa- formation, and block party. Fatter Than Albert obviously factors into that. Fatter Than Albert, you want to just explain just real quick for people, Fatter Than Albert? Um. High school band. That was a band we started in high school. And then it kind of became something more serious uh, in the college. And we were in that band through Hurricane Katrina. And then the band broke up in 2010. But um, we had an avid local following. We toured quite a bit. And we were certainly trying to rip off MU330, the Blue Meanies, Link 80, we would steal stuff from the meters, uh, and it, we were, we were kids and, uh, it was great. Uh, but yeah, that band basically broke up in 2010. You were one of the founding members, right? Correct. Yeah. And so D Ray was not in the band at the beginning, but when did D Ray join the band? 2006. 2006. Yeah. Yeah. And the band started when like 2003. Yeah, end of 2003. Okay. Yeah, I was in 
uh, another band across the lake, Samurai Deli, doing our own thing. And eventually the two bands started playing a lot of shows together, touring together. So yeah, same, similar, similar story with that band. And then they poached you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it w- which was funny because they poached our trumpet player first. <laughs> oh, nice. Wow. Well, but also, also Charlie was playing in Samurai Deli for a little while. So we poached him back. That's right. <laughs> uh, no, nah, it was like, it was very much a like shared uh, ska collective at that point, I guess. In the post Katrina years, when the band's really starting to get serious and building a scene locally, you start connecting with other ska punk bands regionally. So there's this kind of like, larger ska punk scene happening it's mostly in the east coast and south right yeah i think most of the bands we connected with were in the northeast there was stuck lucky in tennessee there's uh we are the union in michigan um safety safety in in florida um and then there was a billion ernie's that was in california flaming tsunamis that's another one right Oh, yeah. Also, side note about the sound clips, shout out to Andy Tabar for teaching us how to mine and properly use sound clips. I would like to drop that in there. The singer of the Flaming Tsunamis was an architect of sound clipping in the tsunami. Oh, yeah. What's your favorite uh, Flaming Tsunami uh, sound clip that they used? Oh, (laughs) that was it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I mean, this is hopefully not going to be a long story, but he did a lot of uh, sound clips of our friend, Mitch Doobie at uh, the final TFT show or one of the last TFT shows, uh, Mitchell Doobie benefit show. And those are some of my favorite because uh, it highlighted a very close friend of us, uh, somebody who really fought for uh, an inclusive, super safe, dope punk scene. Uh, So that's my favorite. My (laughs) Nice. Yeah. This leads into the story of community records because of this scene, because of all these bands, because of what was happening, you were hoping that Asian man records would kind of take an interest and start signing your band and also these other bands. And you went to Asian man records. I think it was around one of the Asian man records um, shows, right? Yeah. So it was summer of 2007 was when I, okay. Yeah. That was my, between my junior and, senior year of college and you uh you interned at asian man records for a few weeks yeah i think i was there for five or six weeks something like that oh, okay yeah what was it like interning at asian man records great <laughs> i mean <laughs> uh, i learned a ton it was enlightening in terms of you know i had grown up or i was i mean i was still i was 20 at the time and as like a late teen just idolizing these uh these albums you know i'm holding an me 330 cd in my hand just being like oh my god like how can anyone write such a perfect record (laughs) (laughs) and 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 not only one perfect record but like a multitude of just all these all this incredible music and and then you know i'm seeing this record label symbol on the back of the cd and all of my favorite records have the same Asian man records symbol. And it just represented this like DIY ingenuity and uh, creativity and 
it was ska, <laughs> you know, just like all of that together was this like sort of beacon for me. And, you know, here we are in 2007 as Fatter Than Albert, like touring and we're meeting with the, some of the bands you just mentioned, Flaming Tsunamis, Stuck Lucky, uh, Public Access, We Are The Union. You know, in my naive head, I'm like, okay, like Asian Man Records is known for ska. And in 2007, they weren't putting out a ton of ska music. I was like, I'm going to go show Mike these bands, you know, like I'm going I'm to I'm I'm get out there. And because a lot of those bands hadn't toured out there, you know, and touring was the way to get your music in front of people at the time. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, st- streaming was basically on pure volume and MySpace and uh, you know and maybe some other things that i'm forgetting and but regardless i'm like okay i got this opportunity to go do an internship and you know and really to just put it short um you know interning with mike was like oh well i'm just gonna do this myself you know um and not myself because d-ray and i teamed up really quickly thereafter but um the idea that I could tell that Mike just didn't really want it. He wasn't into the screamy sort of ska punk stuff that we were doing. You know, that just wasn't, he wasn't feeling it. And that was totally fine. That is kind of something that connects all the bands that we mentioned, like this sort of mid 2000s ska punk scene is it's heavier. There's like screaming elements, a little bit of mathy proggy stuff in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all you guys kind of were doing a different version of that type of ska, really. Yeah. The different sense of it, but it, you know, it had a sound, if you will. Yeah, it was definitely heavier, like ska metal, ska progressive, ska punk, you know, it was just a little bit, some sort of uh, aggressive tinge in some, in some direction. Yeah. Yeah. And then another, like, I mean, I guess obvious influence and all of that was our expandits, like that band. Mm hmm was a another beacon of oh god like you can do this <laughs> you know like that, <laughs> and we all strive to be that good but none of us were that good and the and the battle begun and resignation like blew all of our minds <laughs> yeah like like those those records hit while we were like 14 15 it changed a lot of us <laughs> i would say so i know that you the first thing that you did was make a comp of these bands, but didn't you like make the, make this comp while you were still in California and start passing it out at the Asian man anniversary show? In a, in a way. Yes. So, so it's not the official comp you released, but you made a comp. Correct. Yeah. I was, you know, out there interning and they had the 11 year show and, uh, I think it was Lawrence arms and maybe Shinobu, uh, played the parking lot of the Oakland A's. Uh, stadium and I was even halfway through the internship I could tell like oh, okay like my band's not getting signed to Asian Man Records that's fine and uh, I was like I'm just gonna make 50 CDs of my friends bands that we're touring with and uh, pass them out because if there's folks that are at this Asian Man Records show they're probably into the same things that I'm into so let me just make some CDRs and pass them around and 
that was the first like taste of okay i'm going i'm going to consciously group these bands together and distribute it in any way um and i think that after that internship 3 or 4 months later i was working on a website for what became community records and starting to really think about teaming up with D-Ray and in terms of creating the label. So it wasn't community yet. Did you, what did you call, did you put anything labeled on the CD when you handed it out? I think it was a ska core mixtape or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I still have a copy of it in my house, like around, but yeah, I sharpied, 50 copies, burned them on my computer, photocopied a track list, put a handwritten note, photocopied in all of them, put put the MySpace links <laughs> to all the bands on the said <laughs> photocopied insert. So Community Records starts in earnest in 20 uh in 2008. Yes. And uh the first block party is also 2008. Yes. Right. So these two things happen pretty close to each other. Yeah. Do you know which came first? Is that, I don't know if you can recall. Uh, I think the idea of having block party came first, but then the development of the website, the comp, the comp. Yeah. That, that they kind of coincided because it takes a while to plan and book what could be considered a music festival. So they were, (laughs) (laughs) what could be considered that's great the first official community release was a comp similar to the ska core mix but done in a more thought out way or more official way correct okay so the background i'll give a little background and you can fill in before block party uh, coming out of katrina you connected with a venue called well it was it was unofficially called big top that was the nickname I think the official name was Three Ring Circus or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was an art space. You connected with them and you started throwing all ages ska shows there, which was a unique situation because it was in New Orleans proper. It was all ages and it was a space where they could have alcohol. It was was a loophole because it was an art space, basically, right? Mm -hmm. And that really kind of helped set a foundation for you creating this cool scene within New Orleans. So do you agree with my little summary? <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> okay, so now I set this up because first block party is done at Big Top. It's inside Big Top and then outside there's two stages. Mm-hmm. And it's I assume it's with their help that you were able to put this together, right? The th- the three women that uh owned and operated uh, Big Top. Oh yeah, yeah, they definitely helped us to make it a reality. Yeah, what was the idea with Block Party? Like an all-day festival, basically? Um, I mean, yeah, to have an all-day festival to showcase local and touring bands and do it all ages. Just have like a, yeah, I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall. Just have a all-ages, DIY, all-day celebration of, you know, ska punk, alternative music. Um, yeah, in our city, and uh, you know it, it did well, right? From the from the get go, it did well. 
Yeah, it was it was really well attended. I, I mean, I think at the beginning, a lot of the steam was in Fatter Than Albert because we would do pretty well locally. If we played a good, well-promoted local show, it would get, on average, 400 to sometimes more people. And so I think this one had maybe 550 people, 600 people, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time, I remember being pretty well motivated by that was my senior year of college. So I had this idea in my head that as soon as I was done with college, I would immediately be thrown into a world that I could never consider doing music ever again, because there's no way I could afford to like exist and uh, (laughs) play music. So I think having block party was like, well, might never get to do this again. So uh, that, that was, that was part of it. So you wanted to make it just be the best thing it could possibly be. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know for certain, but the idea of being in the quote unquote real world was scary. And I didn't know that I would have the opportunity to do something like that again. And D Ray and I really teamed up to make that happen. It was uh Chris, we flew in Chris Murray. Chris Murray was the headliner. And, uh, <laughs> oh. We are the union played that year, fatter than Albert that I've mentioned, uh, safety that D Ray mentioned. Um, I'm not going to recall the entire list, but Thou played. Thou played the first block party. Um, <laughs> and uh, Screams of Triumph, Maddie Ruthless, uh, Stereo Hype, which was a band that was from a ska punk band that was from the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Deli played, right? Yeah. Uh, Samurai Deli played, Angry Banana played, you know, local ska punk bands. Um, Sticky Bandits. I'm like trying to remember all the bands that played. Anyway, I'll find the flyer and I'll post it on the internet later or something. Oh yeah, just a side question. I was I was wondering about this uh, community records. You have the logo of the dog. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about that. Is there a, is is it? Do you just want a dog, or was there is there a story behind the logo? Um, when so there's an artist that we work with that does a lot of our stuff. Uh, Auto Splotch, who's kind of like a comic book artist who draws mostly a lot of grotesque things but also can draw whatever kind of idea i toss on his plate and uh i think the dog was just i'm i'm a dog person <laughs> I mean, and dogs dogs got good energy you know yeah i mean i think it fits you know we haven't really talked about the philosophy of community records but the philosophy is community, uh, collective, and I think that dogs fit that vibe. I think so. Yeah, I would agree. Best friend. Best friend, yeah. Do you want to just kind of touch on that, the concept behind Community Records and how it was unique as a label? I feel like from the beginning, Community Records was about support, right? Supporting each other and uplifting people trying to play ska punk music and using our efforts and our energy to kind of help each other move along that path. Um, And I would say that the same is still true with everybody that we work with and what we want to do, which is support and uplift artists that are like, 
doing something that is full of heart and something that they that they and we really believe in and it kind of you know now the genre isn't ska and punk anymore it's you know morphed over the years to be all over the place um which is great because our tastes have changed and also it's kind of widens the net of what we can put out there into the world yeah to to what d-ray was saying i mean when the label first started it was we were emulating quote unquote records um in a way we were giving away all the downloads for free this is jeff's rosenstock's label for anyone unaware yeah and um you know that model was working at that time um you know so much music was downloaded to be put on an ipod and that made so much sense and we were we were touring a lot and we had this idea it was like oh well if people just heard our records the tours would go better and so community records really started as a website and more as a we would do these download days where we would put up 10 records that people could download for free you know sometimes it would be back catalog from bands sometimes it'd be new stuff whatever and um you know we got into like when we first started in 2008 vinyl was not what it is today in terms of it's even you know in people deciding that they would want to buy it it was still kind of in this gray area where cds were still kind of popular and so we didn't really intend on starting a record label per se. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it it kind of just became one and community records.org, you know, the idea being, Oh, just go download it for free. And then it sort of, there seemed like there was a need or, or demand in some way, shape or form from the bands to, for us to help them create vinyl and distribute via mail order and sort of emulate Asia man records and other labels that we admired. And yeah, that's the, that's a long winded version of that. My first question is how many releases do you think you've put out over the years? Ballpark. We're at 111, Greg? 111. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, that that's right. Yeah. It's 111. Yeah. And that's, but you know, that is like digital cassette, vinyl CDs. Some of those things have only been cassettes. Some of them have been, all of those things, you know, um, but yeah, releases 111. So what are your biggest, you know, best selling, most downloaded, whatever, uh, records that you've put out over the years? Oh, bad operation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, uh, it is <laughs> like, yeah. No, nah, I mean, being a little tongue in cheek, but the bad op record has done well. And then uh, we put out a record for Thou that that did really well. Um, Donovan Wolfington, Caddy Wampus, hikes, uh, hikes. Oh yeah, yeah. Football, etc. Um, Nova One has done very well. Well for us, yeah. Back in the day with downloads, um, the Flaming Tsunamis and that first We Are the Union record got downloaded a lot. What type of numbers are we talking about for downloads? Oh, I have no idea. I was looking at it recently because I was sending Aaron like download day information. So I was going on the archive.org looking at old community records snapshots. And 
I saw some of the numbers and I just remember that those were at the top, but I really, Greg, do you have a ballpark? Cause I, I don't even want to make a, a incorrect guess. I honestly can't recall. I thousands. Th- yeah. Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. The kind of diversity or the differences of some of these releases to me seem super stark. Like I was thinking like, just, to, just as a, for instance, like Stuck Lucky and Slingshot Dakota. There's a, there's two bands right there. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't seem like there's any overlap at all with audience or scene. Is there overlap with some of the stuff or like the ska, the early ska stuff and the, the later stuff that's from these sort of indie prog math worlds? <laughs> I, I think it's primarily connected through friendship because even yeah. bring up Slingshot Dakota and they played Mitch's benefit show uh with flaming tsunamis yeah mitchell mitchell doobie was a big fan of both of those bands (laughs) interesting okay yeah but yeah to to speak to greg it's like just being in diy touring bands and meeting people uh just positive friendly people going to shows kind of has led us in these different paths 100 percent in every every instance is like these DIY shows that we play in Fatter Than Albert or All People or Flaming Tsunamis or, you know, at South By or in a basement. <laughs> it's just like, you know, <laughs> the spider web just keeps going. Yeah. All People was the band you guys did for a number of years after Fatter Than Albert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as with all people, were you playing with a lot of the bands that ended up on community records? Yes. Yeah, that that was, I feel like the amount of touring that all people did and then even trying, I'm trying to think about the best way to explain this. So in the DIY touring circuit, it's not just, okay, I'm going to go out on tour. It's also, I have to be as a local band, a support system for mm-hmm. those other touring bands that come through New Orleans. And so, so much of the community records roster got developed off of not just all people touring, but also we would be a local band that would try to support touring acts that were coming through town. And that really informed a lot of uh, what ended up on the label for even to this day. I mean, Nova One prime example you know met Roz through all of that mm-hmm. and uh hey cafe is a is a coffee shop that i think your co-founder greg and d-ray you work at yes and it has been a music venue oh man that you used for these touring acts that you were supporting coming through new orleans yeah yeah when did hey hey cafe start and and i don't know if when it started was also the time you started doing shows or if that's a different date. No, that it started in 2009. And then I think we started trying to do shows about six months into having the space. And mm-hmm. when we first started doing shows there, the big top was still active. So the big top was kind of our main venue up until, up until 2013, we would do shows at Hey Cafe, but it was kind of the, that's like plan B. And then when the big top closed in 2013, that script flipped and Hey Cafe became the main venue. So from 
basically 2013 until 2019. So for like six years, we were putting on all ages shows very consistently at Hey Cafe. It was a magical place. The first Bad Ops show that never happened in 2020 was going to be at Hey Cafe, right? Correct. How many people does a show at Hey Cafe hold? <laughs> Define hold. <laughs> <laughs> Comfortable. I mean, like, I mean, there's been a, a, a hundred. How does a hundred people feel in there? Oh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what's, a, what's a comfortable number? I mean, a hundred felt great because it's like that little room is packed. There's people oh, sure. packed up a staircase. What felt, what would feel great is like, I mean, 20 or 30 people. That would yeah. still be, that would still be close. I would think. So when you, when you guys had the first, the plan to have a bad operation show, like after, like the idea was to put out this record and play the one show. Like you, you weren't really pushing for it to be, you know, more than a hundred people. We, yeah, we just wanted to have a dance party. Yeah. You know, we wanted to dance and play ska music. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Hey was like the, the stomping ground. It felt like home. It was home. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the most impressive thing about the whole bad operation story is that it was just, you know, pretty low expectations for something that ended up, you know, kind of changing your lives a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> for for sure <laughs> you, you said it and and it's and we still try to like that is still i think a, like yeah it's still the number one thing in our minds and hearts is like that's what we wanted to do and that's what we're doing and we'll keep doing it until it doesn't make sense but like we're still writing music that makes us so happy and like yeah so it's working out great. Hell yeah. I want to get into one little uh, detail about bad operations, bad operation lore, the formation of the band. Mm-hmm. Before there was ever a bad operation, Greg, I believe you had the idea of starting a all ska cover band. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be called Sellout, right? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And so sellout never rehearsed, but you came up with a set list, right? Well, we had a playlist. Can you tell us some of the songs that were on this playlist? Oh yeah. Uh, the chinkies suicide machines. Um, mighty, mighty Boston's, uh, let me try to dance hall crashers. Um, the hippos, um, and I haven't listened to the playlist in a while. There was probably at least one less than Jake or two less than Jake songs on there. Um, sure. MU three thirty was on there. If I didn't already say that, uh, there's probably a sublime song or two. Um, or two. What? <laughs> yeah. All right. There was, there was three sublime songs. I'll admit it. Uh, so I think the the impetus of like that concept was um a lot of the I don't know it, it, it we just wanted to have the energy of everyone dancing, everyone enjoying themselves, feeling good and it made more sense to well why don't we just like cover a lot of this really great fun stuff as opposed to 
like the idea of starting a band like why would we do that when no one needs to start a band like they've already written all the good ska music like we don't <laughs> we don't we don't need to write new ska music we'll just cover the old stuff what were you thinking um in your vision at that time were you going to play with other like ska punk bands or were you going to play different kinds of venues or different kinds of shows? Well, let me, let me at least say this. The idea was very half baked. (laughs) (laughs) You've taken it. You've taken it so far. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You made a playlist. So it it was definitely baked. Uh, Yeah. It was, it was, I would say a little over half baked. Well, okay. So part of it was, you know, at the, given it never got to a practice it never got to learning any of these songs it never got to booking a show it was i sent i sent the playlist to brian and rob who are in the rooks and d ray and i were already talking about this concept so i was like okay well you know we're all down like we can we can do this and but this was that was 2018 mm-hmm. you know and it never or maybe even 2017 i don't i don't know I think it was 2018 that the idea came up, but then what that developed into was in 2019 summer of 2019. Um, the Rooks had a practice with D Ray <laughs> where uh, it was like, let's just write a ska record with the Rooks. And in that practice, we wrote um, the music for perilous and bagel Rooks in that one practice. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, no, there was woes on bagel rooks, but there was no lyrics. And, um, you know, that like the next step there was that the last show that ever happened at Hey Cafe was the show with Matt Embry, uh, on September 28th and Dominic Minix had his set and then it was all people. And then Matt Embry and, um, the energy at that Matt Embry show was like, Oh, this is a this is a ska show. Like we we played a couple of, um, or at least the Matt Embry set was like, mm-hmm. we played a couple of RX songs and, like, I, I shit you not, like it felt like most of the ska scene from the Fatter Than Albert days showed up. Like it was the first time that Fatter Than Albert, besides Volpe, had all been in the same room at the same time in almost ten years, and that good energy i was like oh like we need this we need i i or i don't know i was like i want that we're still riding that wave that's like that was like the beginning of this wave that we're still currently surfing totally and yeah the practices that became the record that became us trying to play a show like that all came out of uh did you get the idea at that show to invite dominic to be the singer not at that show but Dominic was in the ether at that point because he had just moved back from Los Angeles and, you know, seeing him perform at that show, I was like, Oh yeah, this dude, (laughs) he's got the, the front person thing. He's got, you know, and I already knew that about him, of course, but like the kind of timeline proximity of, we were having a practice for the, the ska version of the Rooks in December of 2019. And that last Hey Cafe show happened basically at the very end of September in 2019. And we were hopeful to find a singer. And uh, luckily, Dominic said yes and came to the practice. And we just kind of kept... I mean, a a big part of the reason why we talk about um, 
us doing like one show and then never doing another one was at pairs brian's other band at the time uh-huh. tours so much that i was mm-hmm. like okay well this isn't going to be a band like we're not gonna actually start anything because brian doesn't have time for another band and dominic doesn't have time for another band like this isn't going to be serious right <laughs> this <laughs> you can't be serious yeah so i mean the fact that bad operation was received at the level it was kind of made you think like oh well, we got to keep this thing going. We got to find a way to fit this into our lives. Because it's not like your lives are any less busy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we're still figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's like one step at a time. Like, uh, we're only, we can only do so much, you know? And again, keeping that joy, if we're like, if we go too much in one direction, really in any part of your life, but you're going to end up feeling unbalanced. And so, yeah, we're figuring it out, you know. I just wanted to touch a little bit on how you record, because I feel like one of the things that Bad Operation has going for it is that you guys produce really, really good sounding recordings. And I mean, that also speaks to why you were able to build an audience in the recorded space, not the live space. Mm. And I think that this also, this touches on a a topic I think that's important to the history of ska in, in, in that is that in the, particularly in the nineties, recordings weren't really viewed as an essential part of the process of the band. They were sort of, and even, I think even you guys sort of had a similar attitude in the two thousands. It was like, you know, let's put out records to support our touring. Mm -hmm. Let's the touring was the live show was so important that it was like the recording was almost viewed as a way to fuel that live experience. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the way you've approached your, your LP and your wave breaker recordings has been not with that approach in mind. It's about let's create really good recordings that stand on their own, whether or not somebody comes and sees us live or not. Well, thank you. Yeah, that is so, so kind. Thank you. Uh, and, and it's, it's also, uh, all, a lot of props to Brian, like Brian has engineered all of our stuff and in practice spaces, like the first record was recorded. Brian's a genius. Brian's amazing. Like I, it doesn't, should not go understated how, uh, what a beautiful mind, uh, Brian has for guitar engineering uh hearing pitches helping with harmonies like he's just musical to the max um but we recorded in like rob's basement practice space and then we moved to another practice space and pieced some of the first record together there and then we were in two other practice spaces piecing the record together in a different part of town and throughout all of that it sounds so coherent and like it was at a studio you know mm-hmm. um and similar with the three songs on Wavebreaker, we did them at our new practice space which is set up to be a recording studio uh um but yeah all credit for us sounding uh the sound that we get on our records brian has a killer ear yeah and, and james witten does the mixing you know i had to kind of pick up where d-ray left off in a way 
part of the reason we've emphasized the recordings is the years of other bands that we've been in where we've learned from those experiences, from studio experiences, from just perceiving music in general. Like records are fun, you know, like mm-hmm. working working on a the recorded version of what the essence of what a song should be is can be really great. And um the five of us collaborating in mixing sessions is awesome. It's so fun. Throwing ideas at the wall and like figuring out what sticks and everybody's always got some awesome idea that I would never have imagined. <laughs> and and, it, and it's not even always like adding, like sometimes it's also subtracting because part of the yeah. way we, e- even some of the parts that are on both of our songs, it's, we listen to it in the practice space, you know, studio quote unquote, or where we're like, oh, why don't we take out the bass here? Or why don't we take out guitar part here? Or, or what can we do to the drum part to emphasize the vocal here? Yeah, we're certainly composing at that stage still. Mm. Do you spend a lot of time trying to make sure you got good tones and things like that? Is Are you are you nitpicking those sort of details? Yes and no, because I know that Greg and Brian, I mean, I'm speaking for you, but also about you, so you'll have more insight. But <laughs> I feel like they know what their tone wants to be, so they don't have to really fish around for it much. Mm. Um, similarly with my organ, but... I set it where I am, but then I know Brian throws some extra magic on it where he thinks it should sit too. So, but no, there's not a lot of like, let's try these 20 plugins, see what this can do, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, there's a certain amount of experience at this point. Sure. Yeah. We, I think, yeah, we have, we know where our tone, where we want our tone to be. And it's kind of like a, if it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of thing. I mean, that kind of speaks to the simplicity that Greg was talking about earlier. There's, there's also a simplicity in tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what the sound of the band should be and, and kind of sticking to that. Absolutely. Totally. There's, you know, no, there was never meant to be any distorted guitar in this band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, it's, over, it's overdriven, but... It's not crushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm speaking for Brian a little bit, but I always felt like he kind of had that destruction by definition like that's what he was going for in his ska guitar sound maybe mm-hmm. i'm wrong but that's that's what it sounds like to me where oh, that's that tone yeah i could hear that yeah so there will never be a bad operation song that's got the punk straight up punk sounds if it is it's a wild card i'll never say never but it might <laughs> i could definitely see us being like let's just write a 30 second just thrashy thing and just let that be it (laughs) but you know who knows but probably not yeah (laughs) yeah we'll see we'll see where the band goes uh but the whole idea was the show right and when at least the songs that i contributed to the band i was like okay well you have to be able to dance to it because i Mm -hmm. wanted that's that's the whole idea uh and I wanted to see the, I wanted myself to feel like I wanted to dance and I wanted the crowd to feel like they could dance. And I didn't want that energy to stop. And part of the whole idea of, okay, well, we're, we are a ska band is kind of like, okay, well, <laughs> you're going to be able to dance to the first song and the last song and every song in between. And so if it doesn't, if it doesn't groove, then I don't think it's at least right now 
it's not a bad operation song and or in my in my head sure yeah totally yeah i mean there's something to be said about uh, this is what the band sounds like mm-hmm. and having that those kind of limitations oh absolutely yeah all right but hopefully we'll be hearing a 30 second thrash song hell yeah on the record <laughs> who knows <laughs> anything is possible yeah that's right Don't go anywhere. If you want to hear the rest of this conversation, head over to our Patreon. Thank you for listening to In Defense of Scott. Please rate and review this podcast and tell a friend. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at In Defense of Scott. Pick up Aaron's book, In Defense of Scott, at your local bookstore or online. This podcast is edited by Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnigong, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.